Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Starting podcast now. That's how I started every time, Rob. Uh, <laughs> hello, everyone. Uh, you have tuned in uh, to the three questions, which is uh, my podcast. I'm Andy Richter. It's no one else's. It's mine, mine, mine. However, I share it each week with a guest of my choosing. I don't let people get shoved onto me, so, you know, forced onto me. They're all people I enjoy, whose company I, I like to keep. And one of my favorite people is on today. It's Rob Delaney. It's it's America's sweetheart, Rob Delaney. America's sweetheart who ran away and went to a different country. I did. I'm t- I'm speaking to you from uh, you're in London, correct? I sure am, yeah. You seem yes, classier. I, you seem so classy, you know? Oh, Everything God, no. I mean, super classy. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's classy aspects. I mean, I'm not classy. I mean, I know the video element is not, an, uh, you know, part of your podcast, but I know you can see me and mm. uh, you've already, you know, while we we're doing the preliminary stuff, you commented on my back sweat, which is yes. true. Yes. And uh, that's, that's, that's me all over. If I see back sweat, I got to point <laughs> it out. He shouts it out. It's why um, it's why my it's why my showbiz career is shot in right to the middle, because uh, <laughs> of my my candor, my tackiness, astute, yeah, your astute perspiration observation. <laughs> That's right. Um, so it's it's uh, dinner time there, five o'clock, right? Uh, yeah, dinner time yeah. approaches. Yeah, we yeah we don't uh, eat too much after five o'clock, I guess, because I have little children. You know, yeah, yeah. Not, I have one little child, and then two medium sized children who are seven and nine. Uh, and what's but the, yeah, how how old is the little one? He just turned two. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. That's a house full of that's a house full of of all kinds of well, different noise. Yeah, a lot of yeah. boys' noise. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's fun. I mean, we did it on purpose. It's not. It didn't. It hasn't taken us by surprise. We knew. We knew what would happen. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. And they are. Um, I find children to be beneficial to your life. I, I have two. They have been to mine. I'm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm one of those people. I don't proselytize. Like, if people are like, should I have kids? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, if you do want to, then yes. If not, don't. I mean, right. I right. God knows there are plenty of people without kids who are leading fulfilling lives. I, I like mine. Glad I had them. You know, if you want to. Have some be my guest. If you don't, I made a road rise to meet you. So how how long have you lived in the UK now? Almost six years, I think. Uh, wow. Yeah, uh, just about. Yeah, let's say six years. Yeah. Do you think this is a a, a permanent move? I don't know. 
I, yeah. uh, you know, we moved here for the TV show Catastrophe, and we, mm-hmm. we figured it would get... The fucking fantastic TV show Catastrophe. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Really funny and complex <laughs> and, and wonderful, yeah. Thank you. And, uh, you know, like any TV show, we thought it would get canceled pretty quick, and, and I'd get sent back to the U.S., and, like, my wife took a, a leave of absence from her job teaching in L.A., um, thinking we'd come back. And then, you know, the, the show kept going. I got, it, we got a second season. And then, as you know, my son Henry uh, was born here. And then a little after he turned one, he was diagnosed with brain cancer. And yeah. we were going to move back. We were going to do the third season and then move back. Uh, but then he got sick and was sick for almost two years before he died. And then we couldn't do anything, you know, uh, like his death was not up to us, but uprooting our kids for a further traumatic experience since they don't even remember LA was not, uh, possible, you know, or, or advisable. And my wife was pregnant again, um, with a fourth child. So life just, uh, happened, uh, in a, you know, pretty, dramatic uh and brutal fashion and so so now that we've been here you know like our nine and seven year old they came here when they were three and one and they like it we like it uh we miss la i mean we didn't flee la god knows there's plenty of wonderful stuff about it but it's also great here and and i was surprised to find out how viable uh, a career in film and TV and comedy is here. So I didn't, uh, it, I wasn't struggling uh, to find work any, you know, it was the same sort of appetite for whatever it is I provide over here as there was in LA. So, uh, so here we are, you know, and so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. Um. So the, the, the staying there wasn't so much, predicated on on henry's care but on just not uprooting the other kids yeah yeah once henry died we uh knew that moving anytime soon after that would be very stupid um yeah but at the same time by not doing that more time of course passed and so uh and here we are six years later which is is remains shocking to my wife and i yeah um, you're from New England originally, right? Yeah, I grew up in Marblehead, Massachusetts. Uh, I'd love to be there right now, uh, which I often would be uh, in August. Um, but, you know, because of, of travel restrictions, because of coronavirus, uh, we are not there. Mm-hmm. And it, are your, your folks, uh, a lot of people still there, a lot of family still there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's there. Um, my mom, my dad, my sister. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I'll, I mean, I'd love to love to go back. I mean, my God, I'm like, uh, feeling lightheaded thinking about what it would be like to be back there right now, now that I can't <laughs> yeah, be there. Yeah. yeah. Um, what kind of town is it? I, I, I'm not, I don't know New England very well. Uh, Marblehead is, uh, it's like 30 minutes north of Boston, um, and it's on the water, and it's a population of around 20,000, so it's a small town um, comprised of uh, really a peninsula, and then like a little causeway to another kind of attached island, 
And uh, so it's small, beautiful. There's like a ridiculous, I think if the, if the town is like four square miles, there is somehow 115 miles of coast uh, oh, just wow. in the town itself. And um, so, yeah, yeah, picture, postcard picture town and uh, very beautiful. Uh, yeah, my first jobs as a kid, well, my first job was delivering the Boston Globe. Uh, but then after that uh, was teaching sailing on little 12 foot sailboats um, as a teenager. So pretty idyllic, uh, wonderful, wonderful place. Yeah. Wow. It sounds like it. Mm. And um, so you have one other sibling, correct? Yeah. I have a sister who's five years younger. Yeah. And uh, what, what did your folks do? What was, what was, uh, um, they, uh, when I was younger, they both co-owned and operated, uh, an independent insurance agency. So, uh, yeah, if you needed fire insurance or car insurance, uh, you would go to them and, uh, they would, uh, give it to you. And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, yeah, a little office, uh, that they ran, um, uh, until my parents got divorced when I was 14 and then my mom, uh, did, did all that. Um, and then my dad a few years later wound up at the North Bennett street school, uh, being the director of admissions there. And that's a funny school in Boston where, uh, you can like learn how to build a violin or a shed with, <laughs> with no nails, you know? Yeah, yeah. And really cool stuff. Um, but we lived with my mom after my parents got divorced. And um, yeah, she continued slinging insurance, uh, which, you know, helped uh, put us through college. Uh, mm-hmm. And and yeah, just recently retired. Why, why did she keep the business and your dad moved on to other things? Well, I guess since there were, it was because of the divorce and, uh, yeah. and so, you know, they didn't want to work together uh, after they got divorced. Well, no, I, I mean, I know that, but I, but, <laughs> but why didn't, you know, why didn't your dad, was he, didn't he not want to open a competing insurance agency or something? <laughs> to do insurance war with her. I am now remembering yeah, yeah. because this I mean, that was, sounds like a, I mean, I'm probably like an eighties yeah. bet Mittler. Movie. <laughs> um, I am now remembering that in fact, he did do insurance for a few years after that. Um, uh, somewhere else in Massachusetts and then yeah. uh, branched out into other stuff. So so they did do that, but uh, they didn't compete as far as I know. Yeah. And the, this school, is it is it for children is, or is it just sort of... Uh, oh, like, no, it's for... Uh, I think you have to be 18 to go there. Oh, I see. Yeah. And it's just, it's just purely for project-based uh, learning? Uh, yeah, it's not. It's, um, it's not a college. It's just. Oh no, of- it is. Uh, I mean, you do get a degree, um, and uh, you did gra- totally graduate with a skill. You know um, that mm-hmm. is. You know. Oh, my dad. I'm sorry. My dad went there before he started working there, so he did, yeah. in fact, build stuff without nails and. Um, so he went there for carpentry and restoration of old things that already don't have nails. You know, a young upstart. Such prejudice against nails. Yeah. He hates that. Well, look, it's another generation, you know, and I've tried to, you know, he knows (laughs) that I will occasionally use nails 
we don't yeah, really talk yeah, yeah. about it here, but you know, maybe uh, or he might, you know, he might have some Christ complex, <laughs> which would lead yeah, one to yeah, be anti nail. That's yeah, the yeah. likeliest uh, factor. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um. Now, is your family from New England going back and back and back? Because I was yeah. always fascinated by people that live in such beautiful places. Like, how do you end up, you know, what, how does the biological lottery end you up in, like, a beautiful, picturesque town where you can teach? Yeah, sailing? right. So uh, so my parents picked Marblehead just because it was beautiful, I think. My mom grew wow. up a couple towns over in Beverly, Massachusetts, and my dad grew up in Jamaica Plain, which is a neighborhood in Boston. And, uh, you know, they moved around a little bit, you know. Uh, but then when I was around three, yeah, they just picked Marblehead. And oh, God, am I glad they did. And, yeah, uh, yeah. But then, yeah, like even all my grandparents, for example, were born in the United States. I think once you get to great grandparents, you've got people who were from Ireland um, and then go further back than that. You might have a little England and Germany. Um, but mm-hmm. at least all my grandparents were born, were born here, uh, which is to say my parents could have, uh, run for president if they wanted to, if they chose not to. <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> now talk about, that's a blown opportunity. I know, right? Nice. Yeah. You could, you could have been a real spoiled brat. Yeah. Um, not a day goes by that I don't chastise them <laughs> for that. <laughs> D, uh, was it a happy house? I mean, going up, leading up to their divorce, was it a, a fairly happy home or? Yeah, yeah, it really was. Um, yeah. Yeah. I feel very fortunate. Um, cause they did all the stuff that, uh, y- you know, that you should do with young kids and what you should do with young kids. I'm learning is you should be in the same room with them often they should be on your lap often. You should be reading to them, tousling their hair, having fights in front of them with your spouse and then apologizing and making up and having them see that, you know, but just there's, it's proximity, kindness. If there's a mistake, acknowledge it and fix it, you know. So they were both great parents, truly, um, in the formative years. Um. What kind of what kind of kid were you? Were you a funny kid then? Or I were wanted you a- to be. Um, I was. Um, I loved to read. Uh, I loved to take standardized tests. I know that's indicative of something wrong with me, but I truly did anything. Fill it out a bubble for a test. I loved it. Um, <laughs> I uh, was like. Yeah, create, I liked to draw little cartoons and make up little stories and do art and stuff like that. And uh, so that's as a young kid. Wasn't very athletic, uh, you know, yeah, last picked for the sport, the, you know. And notice I called it the sport, just any sport. Um, sure, sure. Uh, like I repeated a year of, of Little League baseball. I was... <laughs> the only kid I know who did that. Um, I didn't even know that was possible. Yeah, they had, in, in, the, in my town, there were three levels. There was farm, minors, and majors. And I, I progressed from farm to minors, but then when everybody else went from minors to majors, they were like, Rob, you're, why don't you stick around? And, um, and so, uh, not very athletic. Too much pressure in the majors. Stick yeah. around. It's so laid back here. Um, now, 
What you're you're a, you are a large person, did big they, boy. Did you, yeah. yeah, but were you sort of like? Because I know from my small town upbringing, any large person was it was harangued into doing some sort of sporting event. You know, like they. Yeah. So at age twelve, I I played basketball for a year uh, in Catholic school that I went to for just one year. Uh, and I was valuable among 12 year olds because I was so tall that I got every rebound. And then also I could shoot. It didn't matter how many times I missed, I would always get the rebound and like then finally get it in. So height helps at that age. But then as you get older, like at the high school, even if you're tall, if you still suck, then you're of no use. So yeah. that, so yeah, I, I, I had, there was a little promise there, but then people were like, Oh, wait a minute. He's not good. He's just big. Uh, yeah. so that was that. And then I found theater when I was, uh, you know, 13 and that was it after that, that was all I wanted to do. Oh really? Yeah. And this was at school doing plays at school. Yeah. 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 And so does that mean, does that like, I'm going to be an actor, mom and dad? Is, is there a pronouncement of that or? I really think that I did. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, by the time I was, you know, 16, 17, I was like, yeah, that's definitely what I want to do. Um, and yeah, they were cool with it, you know, because I, I did, you know, I worked hard in the plays and that was my favorite thing to do plays and musicals. And, uh, and so, yeah, they were, they were pretty supportive of that. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and then, yeah, I don't know. And then, and then what? I don't know. Then, yeah, then that's what I went to college for. Um, you know what I was literally doing? I was sitting there obediently waiting for you to like, give me permission to move from high school to college within this conversation that I just want you to know. (laughs) If you, if you're a stand up, you can just, you know, do your act and I'll sit here. Okay. Um, Uh. (laughs) (laughs) would it be possible for you to turn your microphone off? Except when you laugh. Um, (laughs) uh, but yeah, I did. So I, then I wound up going to NYU. I went for musical theater. I went to Tisch School of the Arts, uh, musical theater program. And that was crazy because I was a pretty good singer and a reasonably okay actor, uh, and, but a terrible dancer, but they made you, uh, dance you know you had to do uh three hours of dance three days a week jazz tap and ballet and uh so i'm dancing up a storm and uh really bad i mean really really bad at the lowest level classes the teachers are like christ you know um yeah because they're all you know broadway choreographers and stuff and they're like uh, but uh i guess I, i you know hung on by you know qualifying or whatever with singing and acting um and but then my senior year uh at nyu i went to uh the upright citizens brigade theater this would have been in 1998 and uh i would have seen the the ucb folks uh do do an ass cat show and i said oh that's that's what i want to do so that that made up me turn a hard left into comedy oh wow yeah so you, so you didn't, did you, you didn't get on to any kind of 
postgraduate, I'm going to try out for Broadway shows. I did. Okay. So that, so I guess I should say that made me want to do comedy, but I was still on this musical track. So I did do a couple musicals after college before I graduated. I, I got the role of Sir Lancelot in a national tour of Camelot. And so I did that. And uh, that was amazing. I mean, played, I think like 47 or 48 States and um, that was so great. Um, and then I did The Sound of Music uh, at the Westchester Broadway Theater. Uh, not on Broadway, but it's in New York State. And, um, and then I uh, moved to L.A. Uh, after that in 2001. Do you think you would have been happy doing musicals? Like if you'd been able to make a living at that? Or do you think that, like if, you know, if you had... You know, you'd felt that urge from a UCB show, but then if you'd mm-hmm. been like, nah, I don't, I don't think I can pull that off. Uh, do you think you'd be, have been okay? No, I really don't. Um, and it wouldn't necessarily have had to have been comedy, but once I got into making my own stuff um, and performing stuff that I either, you know, thought up myself or written myself, that's where, um, you know, performing entertainment, anything artistic began to become, you know, vastly more both important to me, but then also like healthy feeling, you know, um, cause I felt that I was, you know, making something or synthesizing something out of, mm-hmm. you know, the things I've seen and read. And so, so yeah, it, the getting into a, a, a realm where I was making up my own stuff, I think was, was pretty critical and uh, I, I really wouldn't want to do it any other way. Yeah. And that was, that was, you had a, you, that was a late onset urge, correct? I mean, you, when you were, you were thought, okay, I'm just going to be Sir Lancelot uh, and Henry Hill and, you know, yeah, yeah. and it wasn't until, wow. Yeah. I mean, I guess not, that's not too late. I mean, I would have been, you know, 22 years old. Uh, so, um, yes, sure. Some people start younger than that. Uh, you know, God knows I didn't make any money at any of it until I was quite a bit older, but that's perfectly fine, you know, and par for the course. Um, so, but, but I mean, is it, is it scary to you to jump from, from one to the other? Not like, not like uh, doing touring musicals is exactly a, a surefire fallback. Uh-huh. Uh, right. I mean, uh, I guess it wasn't like now, of course, it would be because I, uh, you know, have a family and pay rent in <laughs> North London, you know, but yeah. like back then, you know. And it, oh, also a good thing that happened to me was when I finally pulled the trigger and was like, I'm going to do this for a career, you know, like I'm going to just remove all the safety nets. Uh, It was more that they were also being removed from me by the global financial crisis, you know, 2007, 2008, things went so down the toilet and so many people's lives were thrown into turmoil and jobs were destroyed that I think a lot of people realized, Oh, even getting a job as a lawyer at the big firm or, you know, 
going to dental school or whatever, anything that you thought previously was a safe bet was not necessarily a safe bet. So it was a good time to, you know, follow a ridiculous dream, which is what I thought it was then. But now I don't think that at all. I mean, now I know that life is a fucking shredder that can't wait to (laughs) kill you and the people you love and piss hot acidic piss on in your throat that you should absolutely do whatever you want. Um, because Mm. it's a miracle if you even survive, (laughs) let alone have fun. So I, I, I don't think it's ridiculous at all to, to go into the arts or to go into hot air balloon design, whatever insane thing you want to do. It's no more insane than wanting to be a teller at a bank. It's all so uncertain. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a growing? You've been very frank um, about your addiction issues. I mean, you know, it's uh-huh. been a big part of your stand-up and a big part yeah. of your story. And I'm wondering yeah. uh, how how that's factoring into this point in your life, into, uh, into that point of your life, you know? Oh, back then. Yeah. So at that point, I'm drinking uh, a lot um, and it's creating more and more problems. Uh, so, you know, I would say alcohol for me, uh, started to create problems, you know, in my early teens and then I got sober at 25. So as I'm finishing college and starting to work and then moving to LA, yeah, at that point, um, my drinking is getting worse. The consequences are getting worse. Um, 
and it is affecting my ability to, you know, hold on to relationships, be a good friend, um, capitalize on opportunities that come my way and stuff like that. Uh, so, so I, yeah, I'm afraid of alcohol at that point. Uh, quite, quite afraid of it and want to drink it more than I want to do anything, uh, at the same time. So it's, it was, that was a tough period for that. Uh, yeah. And then at at age 25, uh, I was in a car accident, which was my fault. And, um, and after that I got sober because I thought, you know, I, I, I didn't care if I died, which is pathetic, but I didn't want to kill anybody else or hurt anybody else. Um, and so when I learned that my drinking unchecked would for sure kill someone, um, hopefully it would be me, but it really might not be when you're driving drunk. And that made me want to quit. And, uh, yeah, I haven't drank since then. And that's been 18 years. Um, but yeah, alcohol definitely yeah, created a detour for me, um, which also, is, you know, is very sort of important and formative because at 25, I uh, get drunk. I'm in a blackout. I go to sleep for the night. I wake up, you know, I, 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 in quotes, wake up with no memory of this during a blackout uh, and go for a drive, drive into a building, wind up in jail with broken limbs. And, um, at that point I need to have surgeries and stuff. And I had health insurance at that point, but, uh, this was pre Obamacare cause this was during the presidency of George W. Bush. Uh, so it's before, uh, Obamacare, the affordable care act. So your health insurance company could just drop you. And, uh, and they did when I was started to generate bills, um, that were big and, but yet I still needed more care. So I had to find a way to get health insurance. So I actually had a big detour, uh, from like 2002 to 2007. Uh, I worked at various internet advertising companies and had a, yeah, a bunch of different jobs just so that I could um, get on a group plan from an employer. And so for Mm -hmm. a few years, you know, in early sobriety, working these jobs just so I can get health insurance, I'm like, oh, I guess I'm going to be a business guy, you know? And um, I'm kind of like, you know, it it wasn't a nightmare, period. Uh, Yes, I hated those jobs, uh, and sucked at them. But, uh, at that time, uh, you know, I'm getting sort of established in sobriety and I met my wife, you know, with whom I've had four children. So I wouldn't change anything about all that, but I, it is, you know, that has informed, uh, my political, uh, beliefs and actions um, the fact that I had to, you know, put a dream on a shelf because I needed to get health insurance, which, uh, you know, I don't think people should have to do. Um, right. so that was, uh, you know, that's a sort of important experience that I had. 
in in i mean you're in at this point in your life you're in recovery but you're in recovery you know you're in two different Mm -hmm. kinds of recovery do you end up like is part of your process of 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 the the recovery from addiction is it forgiving yourself and are you able to forgive yourself for this situation or are there times when you think like if i hadn't been an alcoholic i wouldn't be in this boat uh yeah i don't know about um like forgiveness of self i i've never really thought about that i'm a very like blue collar garden variety alcoholic and that's also kind of how (laughs) i approach recovery like i'm like yeah don't drink (laughs) put one foot in front of the other help another alcoholic uh yeah so i don't know you know uh I mean, I, and I don't mean, I don't mean, I don't mean to imply that I, that it's your fault. I'm just, I'm projecting my own, like what I think, I, it, given the same situation, what I would have done uh, mm-hmm. is to think like, I, is to think like, way to go, asshole. Now here yeah, you yeah, are yeah. doing oh, internet yeah. advertising, you know? Sure, sure. Um, yeah. I mean, at the time I was like, I don't know. I was pretty surprised to be alive, uh, to be honest. So I am glad yeah. that, uh, that you know the shock of being alive uh got me you know gave me some mileage uh oh but then also like mental health wise i think for me and a lot of people who have drug and alcohol problems um there i may have been doing some self-medicating uh perhaps with my drinking because once i took away the alcohol after i'd been sober for about a year um despite you know like going to talk therapy and, uh, you know, uh, not drinking and, and trying to make healthy lifestyle choices and stuff. Uh, I did um, go into a depression that was very, very bad uh, with, you know, complete with suicidal ideation and, and real physical pain. I mean, a lot of physical symptoms from depression um, mm-hmm. and like t- a total inability to sleep, you know, uh, diarrhea constantly, um, having any pee in my bladder at all was like unbearable. If I had like a drop of pee, I was like, I, I, I can't have pee in me. Uh, when I would <laughs> well, try to push, I, I, that's, that's a depression, uh, characteristic I've never heard before. You found you a know, new yeah. one. I mean, so I was, yeah. a, I was a mess. So that's why like, I am, uh, you know, when I hear people talk about depression and stuff, or if I hear people chastising others for taking medication for depression, I'm like, all right, let's, uh, let's all approach this calmly, you know, depression. When I say depression, I mean like, you know, high grade unipolar depression where doctors are like, whoa, we got to do something with this guy. Um, and also, you know, uh, that, it's interesting that so with alcohol and drinking, like alcoholism is not that interesting. A lot of people have it, you know, we all know about it. Uh, but I think we might not quite be there yet with depression because even still, you know, like I take um, antidepressants and um, I do still feel like uh, deficient sometimes. You know, I feel like, oh, I wish I didn't have to take these or, you know, d- are we about to discover in five, 10 years or 30 or whatever that in fact you didn't need to take this medication. What you needed to do was, you know, climb this special tree in Austria 
and say this training right. or do these do these breathing right. exercises. So, right. but take, same, beat, but the, take beet extract pills. Exactly. And so, yeah. but I recognize that I have been sober long enough. I have been around other people in recovery enough. Uh, and I've met other people who've suffered from depression. And I know the fact is, you know, and this is a, the, you know, something uh, I've heard said many times, but like, if you had a problem, would you begrudge, you know, a diabetic person, their insulin or, you know, somebody with a, a liver disease, the medicine that they need, you wouldn't. So if it's the brain, it's so funny how the brain will, uh, you know, act to defeat us. And, you know, we know exactly where to find our fears and, and exploit them, you know, even unconsciously. So uh, it is funny to me and interesting that years later, I'm like, do I need, do I need this medicine? And, uh, you know, I think the, uh, most people, most doctors, most people, you know, would, would tend to agree objectively. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I relate 100% because I've been on the antidepressants for decades okay. and, and I, and, and when I started taking them, this is back in Chicago, ages and ages ago, I, uh, you know, I, Can I just I, say to anybody tuning in, if you're not familiar with Chicago, it's universally known to be very compassionate to men who have any kind of mental <laughs> or emotional issues. So I think I know where this oh, is going. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a real, yeah. It's it's known as uh, pussy town because uh, there's <laughs> so so much sensitivity. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I uh, back in Chicago, and I was... It was when I, I had gotten out of college and I was working in film production and I, you know, and then trying to start improv, doing improv. And I was just a mess. I was just, and, and in fact, I went into a, I, I saw an ad in, in the paper with a, you know, are you depressed? The University of Illinois Chicago has a program. And what they did is they gave, it was a program testing elevated levels of a anti-anxiety drug called Buspar and mm -hmm. seeing if it, if it was helpful for depression. And uh, when I first started it, it, I felt like, uh, you know, like I had been a deflated balloon and somebody inflated me to my correct weight. And I felt like I was floating and like, Oh, you know, and it's just, it's what normalcy was, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it was, it, the normalcy felt like elation and then, and then their program ended and I, and they were like, just like, you know, kicked me out on the street without my happy pills. Mm. And I went, I found a, I found a shrink that went to a, you know, that had a sliding scale. And it's like you said, I went in and within about three minutes, the doctor's like, you need to be on meds. Like, you know, mm -hmm. like it's like somebody that stinks needs to take a shower. Like, oh, yeah, Jesus. Yeah. And said it was actually fairly like almost kind of a malpractice that they allowed me to be in this. Like, I didn't need it. I didn't need a maybe this will work. I needed a this is going to work. Yeah, yeah. And right. Right. When I started taking them, I had friends that would be like, you know, they'd hear about it and they, and they would say. And these are like not like happy-go-lucky people. These are people with their own issues saying things like, oh, really? Oh, you think a pill's going to fix everything? You know, and... <laughs> I, love that I, for, or, I love that I absolutely know some of these people. <laughs> yeah, or or the, uh, well, are you, are you going to have to be on it forever? Like, 
Uh-huh. I don't know. It's like you said, yeah. if I was on diet, uh, if I was a diabetic, would you be like, mm, well, I guess you're going to lean on that insulin, huh? But uh-huh. yes, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. you fucker. Um, yeah. But I, but I still have it within me that I think sometimes like, what would my quality of life be like if I wasn't on these drugs? Right. And, and uh, may, maybe I could go off them now and things would be okay, which I, you know, that's, I know that that's not true. Yeah. But I do sometimes, I, you know, it leaves me wondering what it's like to be normal. You know, what it's like right. to have a, uh, you know, have like a fairly normal kind of uh, even keeled disposition, which actually mm-hmm. I should say, um, I'm going to do a little plug here for Trintolix mm-hmm. as an okay. uh, anti, uh, antidepressant that I started on at the beginning of this year. Mm-hmm works better than anything I've ever been on. So huh, uh, ask your, ask your doctor about Trintolix. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, that's, I mean, the, the last, I mean, COVID aside this last year, 2020 for me, in just in terms of it's been a shit year, obviously mm-hmm. uh, in the world, but I at least am able to cope with it in, in with some sort of modicum of, of normalcy, of emotional normalcy, and not, uh, you know, not feel like, uh, I, you know, I'm at, at, in a constant kind of like, you know, have my finger in some sort of emotional dike that uh, it could burst yeah. at any minute. Like, like no, I can, like, yeah, co- this this pandemic, uh, you know, being stuck at home, it sucks, but I'm okay. Whereas, in yeah, a, yeah. if it had happened last year, I think I'd be a big fucking mess about it. So, yeah, yeah. Um, do you think your addiction stuff, I mean, you said it was self-medicating. Do you think it was that right from the beginning or do you think it was just, it, it was just such a chemical thing with you that like, you know, cause I've, I've had friends, friends who are now sober who say like when they were in high school and they, that first drink, it was like just accelerator to the floor for them in terms of, of drinking. Um, yeah, uh, for me, absolutely. It was chemical. I, I, I had a sip of alcohol and I thought this is it, you know, I, yeah, it was like a chemical equation being completed. Here I am. Um, it felt good and correct and, um, just so vastly better to not have hang alcohol in me. So, um, yeah, I mean, just immediate lightning bolt magic. Were your parents aware of this? Do you think? Uh, yeah, they were, uh, they, uh, you know, I try to keep it secret. So maybe that works, you know, a little bit, they might not have known the whole picture. Um, but, uh, I don't know. It's like, there was a lot of alcoholism on both sides of my family. So, you know, they had probably seen, or they rather, they had seen other people try to manage, uh, problem drinking. And, you know, I don't know what they did. They, you know, triangulated and figured out, you know, where mine fit and tried to game out how bad it could be. They weren't like, you've got a car accident in your future. Uh, I would estimate yeah, it would happen yeah. within five to seven years. Uh, injury level orange. Uh, you know, I mean, like, <laughs> so, yeah, I think the injuries knew, were pretty but, crazy. The uh, injuries yeah, in that accident were yeah, I mean, you know, they were, they were, well, what was the, the fun part was that both my arms were in casts. 
So I, I was quite uh, temporarily disabled by the accident um, and, you know, could only use one arm at a time as they operated on them because they had to put some uh, metal into the right arm, which was very badly broken. And then they had to do a surgery on the left wrist, which was broken. Um, so I looked funny. Um, and yes, I was, a. Oh, I think also that was helpful for comedy development as well, because I did live, uh, I was sentenced to a month in rehab and then three and a half months in a sober living halfway house. So I'm in, uh, in a, in a house that you wouldn't notice if you drove by it in West LA, but it's a big house with a bunch of bedrooms with a bunch of bunk beds and a bunch of guys who just got out of prison and me. Uh, and so we've got like big guys, scary guys, violent guys. And um, I can't physically defend myself in any way, shape or form. So <laughs> I remember, you know, actively trying to like make guys laugh so that they would like me really trying to ingratiate myself in ways that were like, you know, the right level of like charming, but not pathetic so that they didn't see me as like a target. Like I really tried to like surgically assert myself and be a part of the thing in a way that was like not offensive, but not like I wanted everybody to so extremely like me so that they wouldn't beat the shit out of me or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was, I think, helpful and a good thing for somebody like me because I'm like a gigantic person, you know? So uh, yeah, yeah. it was very funny to... Funny, I say that with years distance. At the time, I was terrified. But it was useful to me, I think, as a performer to have to develop skills that I wouldn't have otherwise, you know? But i absolutely know but i mean are you're in is there no pity in this place i mean you're obviously you've got both arms fucked up and and it, was it just your arms was there anything below uh, there yeah, that was yeah pretty much uh like nothing yeah nothing else was broken like i had scars on my, my legs were cut badly but once they were sewn up it didn't matter um so right. yeah just just the arms now, um, how does one with 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 both arms uh, compromised yeah. and living in a in a halfway house? How does one uh, upkeep one's hygiene? It's challenging. Um, I had to uh, put like a so I didn't shower that often, uh, and when I did, I would have to like put a trash bag over whichever arm was in like a post surgical cast. Splint. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, put a trash bag over it. And then like using my teeth and the other hand, like wrap tape around my upper arm and then shower with the one hand, uh, that wasn't taped up in a cast. And so, yeah, it was really hard. It was hard to wipe my butt. I mean, it's, it totally sucked. Did, uh, did you have to have people wipe your butt for you at some point? No, you know, and I remember oh. thinking, being grateful that, uh, that, that was the case that I would never want anybody to wipe my butt. But a couple of years later, uh, the way I went, met my wife was um, volunteering at a camp for kids and adults with disabilities. 
And so I wiped a lot of adults' butts soon after <laughs> my arms were healed. And yeah. it's after you wipe a couple butts, it's no big deal. So now I would totally let right. somebody wipe my ass. And uh, yeah, I mean, no shame at all. Uh, yeah. That sounds to me like a, a, a post-COVID fan sweepstakes, you know? Oh, definitely. After the show, yeah. I mean, come on backstage and wipe Rob. Cameo or, yeah, definitely. <laughs> a yeah, I'm part of a meet and greet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, three lucky fans get to get one wipe each. <laughs> yep, yep. I'm eating a lot of prunes. Yeah. And, yeah, whatever. <laughs> to make a... I mean, anyway, you get the picture. Yeah, I I sure do. So <laughs> you came up uh, with it. <laughs> I I did. I did. I forced it on you. Uh, so, it, at this point, uh, am I wrong in 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 thinking that Twitter kind of you were sort of like, were you still working a day job when when your sort of Twitter fame started uh, and notoriety started yeah, to happen? Yeah. So so. Uh, it was 2009 that I joined Twitter. And at this point I'm, uh, doing standup, um, you know, like all over LA I'll fly. I'm getting paid to do standup in the sense that like I get paid say $600 to do a few shows in Minneapolis, but it, costs me $601 to get there and get a hotel room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's that type of stuff. Um, but at the same time, uh, I'm submitting joke packets to every late night show. Conan Kimmel, Chelsea Handler, um, and others and, uh, and trying to, to get hired that way. So I'm writing short jokes all the time. Uh, when, when Twitter showed up, uh, so I think that helped me because, you know, comedians in 2009 were like, hey, can we wait a minute? Can we be funny on this? You know, and so jokes were one of the first things that were that made Twitter, you know, worth it. Uh, and so uh, that helped me use Twitter and then the follower number would grow. And then that made it easier to sell tickets in Cleveland and wherever. And so it was a, it was very, very helpful, uh, Twitter to, for, for all aspects of disseminating, uh, my disease. <laughs> well, now your, your, your disease is uh, a pretty hilarious disease, but it is, I mean, you, you know, I think you, you made a splash by just kind of, uh, I don't even know thematically how you would, uh, uh you know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of um playing sort of like like this this persona this uh the grossest person in the world uh <laughs> sort of i think at times was is is what you assume um and was this i mean uh, you know uh you know the, your wife and her karate teacher and <laughs> and and, yeah, I, and well you know and also like a very particular, uh, a very particular libido that's focused on, <laughs> you know, body hair and sweat yeah. and things like that. You know, um, um, is this when you start doing that? Are you worried like oh, this is not going to help my can- my career? Um, a little bit sometimes, but I kind of thought like this is 
like when Twitter started and, you know, people started like among the first people people would follow in 2009 would be like CNN, you know, people would be like, oh, you know, you can like curate like a feed of things you find interesting, you know, so you could follow your yeah, favorite yeah. football team and whatnot. And I thought like, you know what, we, there's enough crap in the world and apps and doodads. I was like, if... <sighs> And it, and it bugged the hell out of me to see like businesses trying to use it. And, and so I was just like, you know what people, if, if you have had the audacity to download this foolish app and try to be informed by it, then I want you when you're scrolling through your feed of where the taco truck, you know, what, you know, tornado is sweeping through your state. I also want you to have to see something bizarre and insane and maybe upsetting. And so, and so myself and others at that time, you know, recognized like it, it was good for developing like the quick hit, um, incredibly absurd or silly thing when people weren't expecting it necessarily, you know, they're going through, yeah. they want to see how the Titans did. And then they're going to have to hear about, you know, me, watching a woman change out of her wetsuit through a hole in a barn. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> Why is she so, in her wetsuit in the barn? That's what I want to know. Like, I can't get into that. Yeah, that's for, for Twitter plus. I mean, but, uh, you know, uh, like, um, so uh, I just thought this is so stupid. And I always hate new technologies when they come out and get angry yeah. at them. So I was like, how dare Twitter exist? And how dare people use it? So I just wanted to just put stuff out there that made people be like, Ugh, you know, uh, or laugh, yeah, yeah. you know, but just any, make them feel anything, you know? Yeah. I, uh, yeah, you, I, I feel like you really, you were one of the people that sort of like showed me what it could be, you know, like, like getting on there and, you know, you just, <laughs> Seeing you retweet it because I got a I got on there in the crassest, just most, uh, just asshole show busy way, which is was that, uh-huh. and I I think it would have been two thousand and ten, yeah, and I think that the TBS or no, it might have even been when we were on the Tonight Show. I don't even know if mm-hmm. it was when we started the Tonight Show or whether it was the TBS show or whether it's the the weird in between time, but I was invited to play in the uh the the baseball all-star weekend was in wow. Anaheim. Oh my god. And I was invited I was invited to play in the and I've done I did it twice. Mm-hmm. Um there's a uh old timers and celebrity softball game that's like mm-hmm. part of the part of the shenanigans that happen. And so I was invited to go down there and the production, one of the production managers from Conan said to me, they got in touch with us and said, uh, they said like Twitter got in touch with us and said, they knew that I was doing this and Twitter asked if I would join Twitter and tweet about it, that there's a possibility I might get a new iPhone and whatever that, you know, iPhone two or whatever was that happened to be at that time. (laughs) And I was just like, all right, fine. And I signed on and whatever phone mm-hmm. I, you know, my Palm Pilot or whatever the mm-hmm. fuck I was using at that time and signed up for Twitter just to see if I could get a new, a new cell phone. Yeah, um, and 
Yeah. And I could, because at the time I had like, there was Facebook and I was kind of on Facebook, but what I didn't like about Facebook was just what I find out now is the ability to write such long texts and, yeah, and yeah. your accessibility people. And that you're sort of, I, I felt like I was always trapped in a conversation sort yeah. of. And then once I got into Twitter, I was like, Oh my God, this is like so suited to people with, with minute attention spans, which is me. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and I, and I also really loved the challenge of, writing a tweet, like writing a yeah, good yeah. tweet and seeing that it, it's its own form. And if you, and I loved like, if I can get three jokes into one joke into less than 140 characters, it's an incredibly satisfying, it's like a haiku or something. It's oh, a very time. formulaic thing. And it's like, if you can sort of like, you know, the, the, and, and just, it's, it is, it's like, it's like crack of jokes, you know, For it's sure. just, distilled down to its 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 purest strongest fast hit and run thing um and i so i you know and and also too frankly it's like i've a lot of my friends that in my life now i know i know you because of twitter i mean we're talking now because yeah i mean there was Twitter, and then I think you invited me to do some stuff. I think you were doing a pilot yeah. that maybe that was yeah. the first time oh, man. that we that was massive. I, 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 that would be fun if I could ever get that shown somewhere. But yeah, I made a Comedy Central pilot, and you were my guest on it, and we had big fun. And you were so gracious, yeah, and so wonderful of you to do that. Really, well, I was happy. I mean, I don't it, the graciousness, it's like you know, one of the reasons that I even do this is to be around funny people. Like mm-hmm. I don't even, you know, I, I like making a living and yeah, you know, and at, at a certain point, you know, there was time that went by where I was kind of charged up and thinking like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to take the world by storm, but always running through. And especially now the most important thing is to have fun and be around funny people. And uh, yeah, life is so short. So, uh, mm-hmm. I think, you know, people bitch about it and it can be, mm-hmm. it, it can feel like a cesspool at times, but mm-hmm. you know, Twitter's definitely improved my life. You know I mean? Oh, I, it's given me lots of, yeah, lots of fun and lots of, um, good times. Yeah. And also, you know, uh, and also at times made me feel like, like, you know, yeah, like I spending mean, so say... spending so much time arguing with gun nuts in my yeah, life, yeah, yeah. and then ah. and then realizing and then realizing like I am not. This is I'm not. There are still guns. It's not working. Right. Whatever I'm doing, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's, ta- the ultimate... it's taking more from me. Getting upset at anything, and I do mean anything that takes place on Twitter, is the same thing as seeing a big shit on the ground and going over and be like, oh my God, look at that shit. And then like picking it up yeah. and rubbing it on your shirt and in your <laughs> hair and be like, oh, I yeah. hate this shit. Like, just yeah, turn yeah. it off, man. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, uh, it's actually a tweet, but I mean, it's like, I felt, I, it's like, I, uh, the, the simile that I found uh, is that it's uh, it's like trying to drown a vampire in your own blood, like you just oh, end up okay. good in point. attempting to 
Yeah, and t- and attempting to kill this beast, you're just mm-hmm. draw, you're just subtracting from yourself. You're just totally. you're yeah, you, the energy that you are giving that's taking away from you, they're living for it. They're feeding on it. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. But then there are times it's nice to tell someone to fuck off. That's always sure. nice. that's not bad. Yeah, yeah. 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 Online so I met <laughs> is when you like say that was that was that talk show is a Comedy Central, right? It was, yeah. Was that was that your first kind of television thing of your own project? Yeah, of, your own? of my own. Yeah, certainly. Um, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, they didn't pick it up. And I think I was upset for like 20 minutes. And then I just booked a stand up yeah. tour and, uh, and, yeah. and did shows all over the country, which was tremendous fun uh, and wrote a book. Um, but no, I mean, that was very educational, making a pilot and very fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, is at the, at that point, I mean, are you kind of just kind of, what do you think you're doing with your, your career at that point? Like, what are you, are you going to be a stand up? Are you going to, you know, you write a book. So it's, are you going to be a book writer? Are you going to, be a talk show host because I think that that was kind of yeah. what that show was. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. Or, or are you just kind of trying it all and seeing what happens? I mean, I wanted to be fun. Um, so, uh, you know, stand up is great to have at the core of it, um, which is so weird. It feels so weird to say that having not done stand up now in several months, um, which I really hate. Um, you know, yeah, for stand-up to be, like, at the heart of it is a, is a maybe, I mean, I guess if you could describe my career in one word, uh, I hope comedian at this point would be, would be sort of the catch-all. Um, I would, yeah, I would say. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, anytime, as long as people are laughing, you know, I, I mean, I love to write stuff uh, by myself and I love to do stand up by myself, but I also love to collaborate. Like there's nothing more yeah. rewarding than writing a script and then giving it to a director who is not me. And, um, and then, you know, involving, you know, loads of other people to help make it uh, come to fruition. So uh, yeah, and that's a good thing. That's a wonderful thing about um, about this career is that you can do stuff like in isolation and then, you know, foist it on the world at a later date. Uh, or you can work together with others, um, which is really nice because you can kind of feed the, uh, you know, the introvert and the extrovert. And um, it's uh, so it's yeah, it's a pretty um, quite grateful to be able to, to work in it in a, a few different capacities. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's, I think uh, that, well, I mean, aside from stand up, stand up is, I mean, you need managers to help you and, you know, it's mm-hmm. good to have a community, but it is, it is a fairly solitary uh, pursuit. And I think yeah. it's like, there are lots of other pursuits in show business uh, where I don't think people realize how collaborative it is. Like every, Mm -hmm. every really funny actor that you've seen has probably had somebody helping him shape ideas. And, you know, even when they get a Mm -hmm. movie, they, you know, has it, you know, which is the sort of secret wonderful part, I think of, 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 
of the more collaborative nature of, of, of doing this kind of stuff. Um, okay. And speaking of which, when, when you and was catastrophe something that you and Sharon Horgan worked on immediately together? Did you conceive of it together or? Uh, yeah, we did. Um, I, uh, got a script deal, uh, with the BBC and, I just, they said, write a script about whatever. And um, so then I said to Sharon, I said, hey, do you want to write something together? And we had the vague idea that it would be about a married couple um, and the challenges that life threw at them. And so, yeah, we'd known each other for a couple years, two, three years before we decided to work on that together. But there was was, like a... I, I just wanted to say, like, how does how does that that uh, UK connection begin? Like, you know, how do you go from being an LA comic that's touring here to even having a a contract with the BBC? Okay, uh, the way that that worked is um, I didn't realize it at the time when I signed with my manager, um, you know, a long time ago. But in fact, my management company, uh, which was not that big at the time in the United States, was the American satellite of a big British management company. So oh, okay. when I expressed interest in going to the UK, they were like, it was so easy to do. Um, so I came over and started just doing stand-up here. And, um, and then because... Twitter allowed you to become known in a foreign country without even having ever been there, you know, or worked there. Mm-hmm. Um, that made it easier to sell tickets when I came over here. So I, yeah, so I was doing stand up over here and that's when the BBC was like, Hey, do you want to write a script for us? And um, I said, yes, on the condition that you let me do it with uh, my very funny friend, Sharon. Um, okay. And so, uh, so we did that and, uh, that's what became catastrophe. Um, so we were very, very lucky to have that, you know, work out on our first uh, endeavor together. Your kids were quite small then, weren't they? Yeah. When I moved to the UK, the older two were three and one. Was that a daunting prospect? Did, you know, did that ever make you feel like, you know, like, is this the right thing? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it was brutal for my wife. I mean, it was really like damaging to her and to our relationship um, because we lived in, you know, we had like a big backyard in sunny Santa Monica and she had a job that she loved. And so we moved over here with her pregnant with our third. She doesn't know anybody loses her job, Uh, not loses her job, but you know, gives it up um yeah uh, thinking it's going to be temporary and then it turns out not to be um so it was very very difficult so so the like you know the my domestic situation in moving to the uk was real upheaval uh the brunt of it borne by my wife and i had to like really change my work habits because when I first came over here, you know, this is my first show. I'm like, I have to do everything. I can't delegate anything. Uh, 
it, which is, you know, can be a fatal error for people. Um, certainly for their real life relationships, you know, um, and their sanity and all that. And so, uh, it was very tumultuous and difficult moving over here. And, uh, then at a certain point, my wife was like, uh, so, uh, you, uh, we are going to make some changes. And when I say we, I mean you, and they're going to be dramatic. Um, and, uh, she, uh, helped me understand how serious, uh, the issues were. And so I did. And so for like this third and fourth season of catastrophe, I learned how to delegate, you know, worked smarter rather than harder. And, um, and so that was very educational for me and it really helped me adjust the, uh, work-life balance in a way that was more yeah. sustainable. Cause I definitely, uh, fucked it up, uh, in the beginning and, um, so happy that you know we were able to course correct yeah when when, were you just like spending too much time at work kind of was that sort of the basic or yeah and and not acknowledging that you know i had moved my dynamic fun funny popular wife with friends and a job into a basement flat in a country where she knew no one and i was like good luck and uh she's yeah yeah you know pregnant with another one of my kids and, uh, and responsible for a three and one year old. And, um, you know, the weather's a little different here in Santa Monica and, uh, it's just, (laughs) it was just, just vicious, uh, for her. And so now it's vastly, you know, a world of difference, but, uh, yeah. 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 That was, I, I had that same learning process, you know, 20 years ago in my marriage from going from the Conan show to coming out here, um, with a little baby, uh, and, and, and then, and when, and also too, I didn't know how to, how to use Los Angeles. So we moved to a house in the Palisades, Mm -hmm. uh, which was, uh, whereas all our, what friends we did have here were all on the east side in, in Los Angeles yeah. and Silver Lake and downtown. And, uh, you know, and we'd been here about four or five. And also, too, I w- and then I was shooting a single camera show, yeah. uh, which is 16 hour days. And so there would be three and four, three and four days would go by when I wouldn't see my son awake because I'd yeah, leave oh before he'd wake up and I'd come home when he was still asleep. And, you know, and I thought I was being sensitive, uh, but I, you know, I needed to be, it was the same thing. I needed to be made aware. And, if, you know, and I, she didn't say it like this, but it's like, I did realize like about three or four months in, like, oh, I kind of ruined my wife's life. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like it, this is, this is bad. And, yeah. and I also, th- I also think too, and this is, this is just whatever partner and it's usually the, you know, in a, in a heterosexual couple, it's usually the wife that, and that's mm-hmm. mostly in charge of the childcare. And, mm-hmm. is, and so the other person is going out and living this life and coming home tired from work. And this other person has just been here with this, you know, crying ball of flesh all day. Yeah. And, and I, you know, there was times I'd come home, I didn't have anything left. 
And it was just, it, it was really tough and really unfair. And it's hard to navigate that. And, um, yeah. And, and good for you guys for, you know, figuring it out. Uh, uh, well, I'll be honest. Uh, the, fa- I don't, I credit my wife tremendously. I don't take a lot of credit. Uh, I mean, it's like a little, but primary credit would go to the fact that our son got so sick. And we had to really make sure that our family was the highest priority for every member of it so that we could survive it in, you know, the, in the best way possible, you know? So, you know, it was one of those things where, I mean, obviously I would, you know, lop my arm off happily and gleefully to bring back our son, Henry, but, that's not possible. And, uh, in his illness and in his death, you know, my wife and myself and our older boys, a lot of beautiful stuff happened, you know, as we navigated all that and as difficult as it was, and it remains very difficult. Um, there was a lot of, I don't know, uh, just grace and warmth and kindness and, and stuff that just helped us all through it all. And, and it certainly helped guide me in my decision-making process in, yeah. in being kinder and more present. Um, so, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, that was the biggest the biggest factor I think for all of us. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you have always exhibited poise, you know, I mean, even, you know, <laughs> hearing, honestly, I really, I mean that, I mean, you know, in, in like the way that you recovered from your addiction issues and from the accident and, and, you know, making lemonade out of lemons <laughs> so many times, it's really, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's enviable and it's admirable and it's, it's, uh, and I mean, and I, you know, just, just, I mean, what you went through with your son, you know, a, a lot of times I was thinking about, you know, before talking to you here, I was thinking, you know, when something so gutting happens, you know, people often mm-hmm. say like, you know, like I, I can't even imagine. And I was thinking mm-hmm. like, I can't, ima- I can't imagine mm-hmm. I'm a father and I, yeah. I can't imagine just, I don't, you know, the ability to move on from something that can just seem so absolutely apocalyptic uh, mm. in a person, in a personal sense, it's, uh, you know, it's been, it's been, it's been valuable to watch, uh, not just uh, for well, me, I think for lots of people. So, well, thanks. Um, you're welcome. <laughs> well, now what? Now what? What are you, you're still over there? You're uh, what are you working on these days? What, and 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 yeah. and sort of just in a greater sort of greater sort of uh, you know philosophical sense. What next? Um. So, uh, short answer: I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, okay. To expand upon that. All right. Well, nice uh, talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> to expand upon that. Um, I, uh, you know, I just gave us, submitted a script to a network uh, that I wrote over here. Um, 
and we'll see what they think of it, if they'd like to uh, make a series out of it. And that was a lot of fun to write. It's, uh, it's the first thing that I've, you know, put a lot of work and care into uh, since Henry's death. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm glad I waited a couple of years uh, because I think it can be, you know, I wanted to not write about it directly, his death, but I knew it needed to, you know, course through me and become a part of me. And, you know, I had to sort of grapple with the new person that I was because I mean, I really Mm -hmm. feel like a different person um, having, you know, with the things that change in you after having a child die. And um, so this, uh, yeah, so I've written uh, something that uh, has a lot of jokes per page, but is uh, quite dark. Um, And uh, yeah, hopefully, I hope we get to make that. I won't yeah. say anything else about it now because, you know, it's still in the oven. Um, right. But, um, and also I, I'm a terrible thief. I will steal it. Oh, will, right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. If you give me um, even, even an ounce of an idea of what it's about, I'm, yeah, I'm, I know, you know, I'll be seeing it I'm on z- stars <laughs> before <yeah>. Christmas. <laughs> um, right. I'm zooming with Cinemax th- in 10 minutes from now. Uh, um, <laughs> So that's, well, that's you know, good. Now, can you stay in, can you stay in the UK as long as you'd like? I mean, is there a certain point? Uh, where, no, we you... have a finite visa. We have a very good long visa, but it's finite. Um, hopefully yeah. they'll want to renew it. Um, but yeah, we're not citizens, but we do, uh, we are here on a visa where you don't have to like leave every six months and get fingerprinted yeah. in New York and then fly back. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I guess we'll live here, uh, for the foreseeable. Um, Mm -hmm. I, uh, I mean, I love being an employee. I love acting in other people's, uh, movies. Uh, so have a few movies that'll come out in the, in the coming months, um, that are other people's, uh, creations and that were really fun to work on. And I hope, God, I hope we can get back to stand-up soon. Um, the other day, yeah. somebody's like, how come you're not doing stand-up? And I was like, well, I'm going to let the 22-year-olds figure out how stand-up works in the... <laughs> I don't have enough time. Like, I don't have time. And I'm also taking advantage of this time to just be with my kids. So once it gets yeah, figured yeah. out and we figured out the sort of plasticine, you know, costume that we wear and we're suspended from a helicopter or whatever, once that's figured out, I will absolutely be back doing stand-up. Um, and uh, otherwise, you know, uh, figuring out how to be a good dad and husband. Um, and uh, yeah, how to engage politically, you know. I mean, we don't have to mm-hmm. talk about this too much, but, you know, it is uh, it is gratifying that people are now learning, uh, myself included, you know, how important the daily actions that we take are. And the, and the magnificence and the beauty and the glory of the Black Lives Matter protesters around the U.S. and the world. You know, I think people are now getting hip to the fact that with income inequality where it is at this point, and it's very bad, and where uh, things are headed with the environment, and again, very bad, 
that voting every four years or every every two years, if you're a real star, um, is just not enough. So that's <laughs> yeah. great. So yeah, I want to try to help uh, figure out how to get more involved, you know, with the day-to-day, you know, uh, local, sm- much smaller elections, um, you know, city councils, mayors, DAs, um, and then yeah. unions and work with them just so people can be more engaged. Because, you know, uh, look, hey, it'd be great if we could just go on autopilot and not have to really worry about it. But, you know, uh, we, uh, you know, my political consciousness switched on during really what is historically a blip when, you know, things were seemed to be coasting and seemed to be okay for, you know, uh, a small percentage of people, but now it's even growing smaller. So, you know, I just am so grateful for everybody who's in the streets and doing the real work and, um, yeah, just want to make sure to to do that and and help people do that the best that I can. Yeah, I've all, you all have a very positive political engagement, which I think is is rare. I mean, often it's got. I mean, like I said, I you know I'm somewhat political on uh, in public, and mm-hmm. and often like I get I let sort of anger and self righteousness bleed into it too much, and I think you do a great job of of kind of remaining positive and, re- and, 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 and persuasive and persuasive. I mean, because I think persuasion is absent from a lot of discussion. And, and it, that is the bottom line is if you have a, if you have a firm belief that this is the way that things will be better, calling someone an asshole for thinking different <laughs> is probably not the best. Oh, totally. Way to I mean, persuade. it's so enticing. Yeah. I mean, I have to, 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 you know, put the brakes on myself too, to stop myself from doing that. Cause you want to do it. I mean, it's good fun. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I mean, that's a solid yeah, yeah. dopamine hit calling somebody an asshole. Yep. But, um, yeah, but at the same time, I think it's more for me, it, it, I've been more successful when it's been, you know, attraction rather than promotion and, uh, yeah. telling about my experiences with, you know, uh, socialized medicine over here, national healthcare, uh, yes, yeah. it just seems to be far more effective than saying, uh, this is how it should be. And if you don't think so, you're an idiot, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I would rather demonstrate that it's so good to have this stuff that you can <laughs> bypass that you can kind of bypass yeah. the name calling where you're like, Oh, Hey, that looks interesting, you know? And yeah. yeah. Well, it's, uh, now you, 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 Use the phrase "figuring out," figure out, figure out this mm-hmm. and that. I, I I wonder when you say "figure out," if you could distill like what you figured out into kind of like a short, punchy statement that a podcast asshole like me will love to put a button on this thing. Okay, um, what so do you think you figured out? What about what well, things I, I that I believe? Um, I so for me, a big example of how to persevere in this world is the cockroach. I really try to emulate the cockroach because, you know, so <laughs> many incredibly good things have happened to me and for me that are really beyond belief. Then also I have had some really terrible things happen to me that have been enormously difficult and that I've barely been able to survive. Um, those things are... <laughs> I try to like, I know it sounds crazy and like Chekhovian and all that, but like, I really try to endure, you know, 
and I try not to hate the bad things that have happened to me. And mm. this is like a very messy and tortured metaphor, but it is the central one for my life. Uh, at the end of Back to the Future, uh, Doc Brown shows up and instead of having to get struck by lightning, um, he now attached to the flux capacitor has the thing that says Mr. Fusion on it. Mm -hmm. And you'd no longer need to be struck by lightning because of what he's learned in the future. Uh, you can just put anything in and it will feel yeah. banana peel. Hat, like anything will fuel it. So for me, yeah. I try to think that I, you know, like am, have a, a, a Mr. Fusion inlet in my head or my heart or both. And so I try to take the good and the bad and understand that they can fuel me forward. And the, that has really served me well, the sort of Mr. Fusion belief um, and yeah. attitude, uh, because things are going to get thrown at you that are incredibly painful and incredibly difficult to absorb and, and make peace with. Um, and, that, and it's going to happen. It is going yeah. to happen. So if it's going yeah. to happen, then I try not to hate it. I try to, you know, weave it into my life and my experience. Like with Henry's death, sometimes I'll be crying and I'll be sad. And I'll tell myself, and this might sound crazy, I'll tell myself, it's okay. You'll be sad forever. And then I kind of feel better because I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't have to. I don't have to heal in this moment. I don't have to come up with answers. I get to carry his memory in my heart and forever. I get to feel however I want, uh, whenever I want. And if that's, you know, sadness, well, that would make sense, you know, and it's okay. Um, so yeah, that's, those are yeah. a couple things that I know. I mean, I know that's messy, but I do believe all that quite deeply. <laughs> it's, uh, it, well, it's quite beautiful. I mean, I, you know, I don't think of uh, Back to the Future as beautiful, uh, but, uh, you know, it's fun. But, uh, but no, that's a, that's a beautiful way to think of it. And it occurs to me, as you're saying it, it's a kind of victory. It's a, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of when, when, you know, to the ability to, you know, it really kind of like if, if bad things are bad, it's a mm -hmm. way to conquer bad. It's a way, you know, it's a way to sort of, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, I shouldn't even say anything after it because it was, <laughs> you put it so well. So, and thank you so much for doing this. I really oh, appreciate thanks. it. I know oh, it's, it's dinner time over there and uh, I miss you and I hope to see you soon. I miss and, you too, pal. Yeah. And thank you. All right. This was really fun. I'm glad. And uh, right. and good luck on the new script. Anything else? Is there anything you want to plug? Is there any, you know, uh, is there anything no, to plug? I don't plug? think so. You know, I mean, if people haven't seen, uh, I had a stand-up special come out earlier this year on Amazon yeah. Prime. Uh, so you can watch that. Very funny. Yeah. Uh, All right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No grooming products. No line of housewares? Uh, well, I, you know, there's a shampoo that smells like less oil over here that I <laughs> really like a lot. Um, it's called Faith in Nature Tea Tree Oil, and it smells like the less wow. oil I would use to clean my kitchen floor as a child.
child. And so it yeah, brings yeah. back to that. It, like, I don't want to smell like that, but I do because I love to smell it in the shower every day. So yeah, yeah, can, yeah. Some faith, faith in nature, tea tree oil shampoo, it smells fucking exactly like less oil floor cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Rob. Thank you all so right, much. Thanks, and and thank all of you out there for listening. And we will uh, see you next time on, three, on The Three Questions. I've got a big, big love for you. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It's produced by me, Kevin Bartelt, executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Chris Bannon and Colin Anderson at Earwolf. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, associate produced by Jen Samples and Galit Sahayek, and engineered by Will Becton. And if you haven't already, make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. This has been... A Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.